This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. What is going on, guys? Welcome on into Fantasy Intervention. Yes, get excited for yet another episode. That's right, we're going to do another episode today. I feel like it's been forever. It's been forever since I did an episode. God, it's been like literally a week. I'm not even kidding you. Has it been longer than that? Either way, I was preparing for the SFB Podathon, which I did put out as my last episode. And of course, I'm doing the Scott Fishbowl draft right now. It's pretty intense. I'm loving my team so far. I'm loving my team. These rules are so off kilter. You have to pay special, special attention to what you're doing out there. And so far, I feel like I have. It's been a fun time. But in the midst of all this, I'm still doing my articles. I'm still doing all my research. I'm still trying to put together episodes. In fact, I already have the next two episodes lined up. The show sheet's already done, and I'm ready to rock and roll. But today, today we got the AFC West on the docket, baby. Oh, yeah, on the docket. Excited to cover it. But before I do, before I go into that, God, I feel rejuvenated right now, by the way. Maybe not doing those podcasts for the past week or so actually got me a little bit rejuvenated. It got me a little bit worked up. I'm excited to do this episode. I really, really am. And before I do that, I do want to dive into a piece of research that I was doing over the past few days. I, I thought there was going to be a direct correlation, so I really went after it hard, between the 2011 lockout. And the situation going on with COVID right now and the fact that teams can't really practice or get together. So sure, there are definitely, definitely some similarities. We see right off the bat. But I think that we're a lot better off with the 2020 offseason than we were with the 2011 offseason. And I'm not saying that COVID is better than, than being locked out or anything like that. I'm just saying that the teams are better off because they're able to communicate with their players. They're able to go through the playbooks. New coaches are able to try and implement their systems and their schemes into place. So I do believe, I do believe 100% that we are going to be better off than we were in 2011. However, with that being said, I dove in into every single angle. I spent a total of 11 hours researching this. I thought that in the start of the season, either the defenses would be off and there would be a lot more deep plays. I thought that if that wasn't the case, then the offenses and the wide receivers would be off, or at least the rookies would be affected. But every single time I came across something, there was nothing. There was nothing that really differentiated itself from the rest of the years surrounding that time period. Nothing. I mean, Cam Newton set records that year. A.J. Green was brilliant as wide receiver. The offensive lines, there was only three rookies or three teams who had a rookie starting on their offensive line that gave up a higher percentage of sacks than they did the whole rest of the season. So there was really no variance when it came to that. There wasn't even, there was more running backs that played in 2011 that started 13 games than there were, what, 2012. 
The only major difference, the only major difference with the 2011 season compared to any other season around that time period was the injuries. There were almost 300 adjusted games when it came to games missed by players. That's a lot. Normally it hovers around 1,400, 1,600. That season it was over 1,900 adjusted games missed by players. That's crazy. So when you sit there and you think about it, you're like, damn, should I start handcuffing my guys? What should I do to make sure that these injuries don't occur? And the reality is we don't know who's going to get injured. We don't know who's taking care of their body. We can't predict Achilles injuries. We can't predict hamstring injuries because we don't know who's stretching and who's conditioning themselves. Yes, it is a conditioning issue. Torn Achilles tendons are because they're not conditioned. They're not stretched out. Hamstrings are very, very similar. The majority of injuries that year were conditioning-issued injuries. So, with that being said, don't go freak out and don't go handcuff every single one of your players because I don't think this is the year to handcuff with COVID being around. If a running back or a wide receiver, an offensive lineman gets the, the COVID virus or contracts it, there's a very high possibility that everybody else that he's practicing with and he's hanging out with, that is other players in the same position group, could also contract the virus. So, with that in mind, don't go out and freak out and, and go handcuff all your players. Just make sure, make sure that you have multiple starting running backs. This is the year to pound out multiple starting running backs on different teams. And to sit there and focus on your wide receiver groups as well. But let the wide receiver groups fall. Just grab a few more of them. Right? Cool. Also, two tight ends is also a key. Get two tight ends that have top 12 potential, but get them in the later rounds. Got it? Good. We're on the same page. Awesome. Let's move on to one more thing that I would like to cover, and that's just heading back to the AFC East. After I ended up doing my research for that episode on the AFC East, I was going back and looking at a couple things because somebody brought up a point that, that Cam Newton is the best player in that division over the next few years when it comes to the quarterback position. And I wanted to look at it because he's telling everybody that you're dumb if you like Josh Allen, essentially. Like, you don't know football if you like Josh Allen. But yet, you're saying that Cam Newton is the best quarterback in that division. Hmm. Okay. That's weird, because Josh Allen and Cam Newton had almost identical sophomore seasons. Cam had a few more yards and a few more attempts in both passing and rushing, but Josh Allen had more touchdowns in both. The biggest difference is the supporting cast when it comes to the sophomore season. Newton was thrown to Steve Smith, Brandon LaFell, Greg Olson, all while you had the two-headed monster of Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams in the backfield. I mean, that was a team that you didn't want to fuck with. You didn't know which direction they were going to go. You couldn't defend that team. It was sick. Meanwhile, we look at Josh Allen, or John, or Josh Allen, I'm sorry, we look at Josh Allen, and he had John Brown, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, and Devin Singletary as a rookie. I mean, is this even a comparison? Is this even a comparison? Steve Smith, Brandon LaFell, Greg Olson, with D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Meanwhile, we have John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Dawson Knox with Devin Singletary, and oh yeah, how could we forget Frank Gore? You tell me which offense you would rather defend. Yeah, it's the Bills every time. But yet, but yet, Josh Allen was still able to produce. 
if Josh Allen can continue to develop, Cam Newton's stat lines are extremely, extremely attainable, and he could actually surpass those. He could surpass them. We talk about the additions with, what is it, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah Hodgins. Then we also added uh, Zach Moss to the mix. And, of course, how can we forget Stefan Diggs? You're telling me that you don't think that, that Josh Allen can improve after adding all those weapons? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. This guy could easily be the top quarterback in the AFC East. And I don't even know if it's close. If Cam Newton shows some sort of regression when it comes to his passing after the injuries that occurred to his shoulder and to his foot. He wouldn't even plant last season. Let's see what happens. But I'm telling you. Josh Allen at the age of what? 24, 25? Is a guy I want in Dynasty. He's a guy I want. So let's go ahead and hop into the AFC West. Enough about the AFC East. I'm done. I'm done talking about the AFC East. We're on to the AFC West, baby. And we're going to bring up the guys that I'm moving up draft boards. The guys I'm moving down draft boards the best values, the dark horse candidates. And we're going to go a little bit different route with this. We're going to go a little bit different route. We're going to say that a Vegas bomb, baby, a Vegas bomb is the guy that I'm bringing up. We're going to say a four horseman is the guy that I'm dropping off because you never know what's going to happen with your night after a four horseman. Your night is fucked. Vegas bombs get you stoked. So that's why they're going up. Then we're going to go with the best value, and that's going to be rumplements, baby. Straight up rumplements. Because rumplements will get you fucked up and it doesn't cost a lot of money. So it's the best value out there. Yeah. And it tastes good. It tastes delicious. Oh, it's so good when it hits the lips. So good. And then, of course, we have to have our wild card. And I'm going with the white dragon, baby. The white dragon. It's my signature shot. It's tequila. It's tequila mixed with rumplements. It's amazing. And you'd think it'd be bad, but it's actually really fucking good. Oh, yeah. The white dragon. Mmm. Don't tell me what about the White Dragon. You don't know. You don't know about the White Dragon. So enough about the White Dragon, at least for now. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Let's go ahead and dive in. We've got the Chargers. We've got the Raiders. We've got the Chiefs and the Broncos. And there's a ton of uncertainty all across the board with these teams. I mean, the Chargers and Raiders, we don't know what's going to happen to the quarterback position potentially. You know, that's what everybody's talking about. Everybody's afraid that Mariota's coming in to replace Carr, right? The Chargers, we don't know how long Tyrod's going to start for. If he's going to keep that starting job, how he's going to do. You know, if Herbert's going to take over halfway through the year. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. We also have uncertainty at the wide receiver position with the Chiefs. I mean, who's the wide receiver two to own there? How often is Tyreek Hill going to hit? The, the Broncos? <laughs> oh my God, who is going to get the targets? There's a lot to talk about in this episode, and I'm stoked. I'm stoked to do it. So we're going to start out with the Raiders. And I don't know if you realize this or not. But Derek Carr is still only 29 years old. He's 29. He's just now in his prime. Just now in his prime. Last year, he was second in true completion percentage. That factors out the drops and throwaways. Second. He had his best season in terms of completion percentage, passer rating, and adjusted air yards per attempt. He had a great year. He also had one of the least amount of interceptions while playing a full season. And his top receiver was a tight end who saw 18 targets prior to last year. In his previous, what, three years, he's seen a total of 18 targets. 
His number one wide receiver was Tyrell Williams. That was 72nd, or he was 72nd in yards of separation per target. He was also ninth in drop rate. Dude, he's adding on Henry Ruggs. He's adding on Brian Edwards, Lynn Bowden. He's going to improve. He was QB 16 last year without those guys, and he's being drafted one spot ahead of Phillip Rivers. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Trubisky, Rivers, Fitzmagic, and Tyrod are the only starting quarterbacks going behind him in dynasty drafts. That makes no sense. None. It makes sense that two and Herbert are going in front of him as well, but he's the 30th quarterback off the board in dynasty startups. The kid's only 29. Sure, like I said, they signed Mariota to the richest contract for a backup quarterback. Well, not named Kobe Brissett, at least. But people forget quarterbacks have to lose that starting job. With him being in the top 10 in yards, adjusted air yards per attempt, completion percentage, and quarterback rating, all while being in the bottom 10 of turnovers and sack percentage, you tell me how he's going to lose it. How is he going to lose the starting job? How is Marcus Mariota, who has been wildly, wildly inaccurate, who has been wildly, wildly inefficient, going to take this starting job from him? I don't get it. I mean, I have seen crazier things like Kaepernick taking over for Alex Smith in San Francisco, but Cap was younger. We didn't really know what he could do. We just saw a little glimpse of it. We've seen Mariota. We've seen a big enough sample size. He can't even stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. Imagine if he does seize the starting job. What is he going to start? Three or four games before he breaks his ankle again? I'm locking in Derek Carr as someone that I want to rise up the board. He is my Vegas bomb, baby. My Vegas bomb is Derek Carr. Now, who's my four horsemen? Who's going downhill after this shot? It's going to have to be Darren Waller. Darren Waller. We've already talked about all the additions to his team. We didn't bring up Jason Witten. We didn't talk about how Foster Moreau completely vultured him at the goal line. People forget that, that Foster Moreau actually beat out Darren Waller for TDs last year. He had five touchdowns at the goal line. Foster Moreau is uber talented, and he should be healthy in time for training camp. They also didn't bring in Witten to sit on the bench. Why would Witten agree to go there? Well, actually, just to think about it. Maybe he went there to get tips from John Gruden on how to be a better commentator. Right? Like, he's just sitting there talking to John Green on the sideline. You think that they're talking about the plays that are going on on the field, but he's actually just asking advice for commentator help. That's possible. Right? Right? Jason Witten just getting tips for commentating. I love it. Either way, Darren Waller did have a complete shocker of a year last year. And I do think he's talented. But the question is, Are there too many guys in this offense that could be taking work away from him? Him going right after Ertz and right after Mark Andrews is just too high up for me. I don't want that. He's going up and he's going in in drafts by what, the fifth round? Maybe even fourth in some drafts? I don't want any piece of that. I'm not going to be touching Darren Waller until the seventh or eighth round, which means that I'm probably not going to have any shares of him. 
I just don't want to take that risk. I know this offense is going to be better, and he might have more red zone attempts this upcoming year. But when it comes to him getting those first downs and getting yardage, you know, yards after the catch, and consistently being the only target in that offense, I just don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. We haven't even brought up Hunter Renfro still being there. I mean, with Hunter Renfro on the field, Darren Waller and his target share significantly dropped. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I might not even take Waller until the ninth round. I don't want any piece of Darren Waller. He is my four horsemen. My four horsemen, I'm not touching them. Now, when it comes to my rumplements, who's going to get me drunk for cheap but still be delicious? Rumplements. Brian Edwards, baby. Brian Edwards. And this guy could be the X receiver right off the bat in the offense. We know how Gruden loves his X receivers. I mean, we're talking like Tim Brown, Urban Fryer, Jerry Rice, Keyshawn Johnson, Michael Clayton, Joey Galloway, Antonio Bryant. list goes on and on and on. And I will sit here and receive for a second because I figured this out after I actually typed this up. The majority of these wide receivers are actually a little bit quicker and a little bit faster wide receivers while not having the full-on size. I mean, we talk about Keyshawn Johnson. He obviously had the size. We talk about Michael Clayton. He had the size. I believe Antonio Bryant had the size as well. So Henry Ruggs could be the Joey Galloway, could be the Tim Brown, could be the Irvin Fryer, the Jerry Rice. I'm not saying he's that talented. I'm just saying it could be either Ruggs or Bryant or Brian Edwards, or it could be both. So I want to lop these two together. I'm actually rising both of these up the boards when it comes to the best values. I think that they're both significant, significant values. But I'm going to stick with Brian Edwards for the purpose that he's going later in drafts. So if you don't want to invest in a rookie wide receiver that early, Brian Edwards is going to be my actual value stamp on this segment. So I'm still curious what they're going to do with rugs and how they use them, but I'm more than willing to take a shot on Ed- of uh, <laughs> Jeez, man, it's got all tongue tied. I'm more than willing to take a shot on Edwards ahead of Ayuk, ahead of Pittman, ahead of Claypool. I really think that this kid is going to succeed. I really like him. I love his, his profile. And I think that Gruden, knows who he wants, and he goes and gets them, and he makes them successful, at least on the offensive side of the ball. He knows what he wants. He's a girl, or she's a girl that knows what she wants, and she goes and gets it. John Gruden, baby. John Gruden. All right, now we're going with the dark horse time. It's dark horse time, baby. We're going to go with the white dragon. My first ever white dragon is going to be Lynn Bowden Jr. Make it on down, sir. Listen, they said that he's a running back in the draft, but he can play quarterback, he can play running back, he can play wide receiver. We don't know what he's going to do. He's essentially going to be the mystery prize. I think that he could be a more productive Taysom Hill that sees more snaps across the formations. I mean, this kid is quick. He's fast. He's everything they want. He could take away some third down work from Jacobs. They could use him as a gadget guy in the red zone. Is there a chance he could even be the Oakland Raiders' future quarterback? Think about that. Is there a chance that John Gruden tries to work in a Lamar Jackson-esque offense because he wants to run the ball so, so much, and they allow Lynn Bowden Jr. to get a few snaps in, John Gruden really likes him, and then they go that direction in a few years from now? Meanwhile, you're still getting production from him as a rookie being a gadget player. I'm just saying. It's not that impossible to think about. It's really not. He did extremely, extremely well playing that position at Kentucky. 
What if he can refine his craft? Listen, I'm not really sure when you can, or what they're going to do with him. But I do know that he's going in like the late third round, the early fourth round of rookie drafts. And he's fallen all the way, all the way to the back of the, the startup drafts for Dynasty. In redraft, he's not even being touched. So if you want a wild card, if you want a wild card, this guy, this guy could be fire. And there's, not, there's a chance that he never even hits. There's a chance that he's never fantasy relevant. So I'm not saying go sell all your pieces to go grab him. But this upside, this dark horse, this white dragon, throw him in the taxi spot for a couple years and he could be absolute fire. 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 On to the Chargers, baby. On to the Chargers. And our biggest riser here is Joshua Kelly. <sighs> Y'all have heard me talk about him all the time. I love Joshua Kelly. He's in a perfect landing spot with a coach that loves to run the ball, where Melvin Gordon is leaving behind 162 rushing attempts and 55 targets in only 12 games. Think about that. He's also, by the way, leaving behind 31 red zone touches per game, or I'm sorry, 3.1 red zone touches per game, which was top 10, top 10 in the NFL. I'm not saying that Kelly's going to get them all. Eckler might even see an up, uptick in, in carries and targets. But I do know, I do know that if he sees a decent amount of work, we're still talking about RB2 numbers or a potential flex guy. Joshua Kelly needs to be ranked a lot higher than he actually is. And I'm about to take him with the, what, 13th pick in the Scott Fishbowl? Yeah, I'm about to take him as my next pick. I love me, love me, love me some Joshua Kelly. Now, my biggest faller here is going to be Hunter Henry. Oh, by the way, that was a Vegas bomb. My biggest uh, four horseman shot is going to be Hunter Henry. Yeah, I got to get used to this, guys. This is my first time trying this out. I'm going live with you guys. You guys are hearing exactly what I'm saying. I'm not going to edit this episode. So you guys are going to get what you're going to get. And you're going you're gonna to like it or you're going to hate it. I really don't care. But we're going to have some fun with it. So I really don't think that Tyrod Taylor taking over changes things drastically. I think we'll see a reduction in deep targets potentially. Just a slight reduction, not a major reduction, but a slight reduction in deep targets. And I do think that the accuracy goes up. However, he's going to run the ball a few more times. So with that being said, we have a subpar offensive line out there in Charger land. Sorry, guys, your, your offensive line is subpar. I know they traded for, for Trey Turner. And I know that they're trying to add pieces to make it better, but it's still a subpar offensive line. What happens when you have a subpar offensive line? Well, you need more people to block. On top of that, we got a rookie quarterback who could potentially be taking over. What do you do to rookie quarterbacks? You protect them. They're going to keep, they're going to keep Hunter Henry in line to block a lot more often than they have in the past, in my opinion. I mean, have you ever seen have you ever seen Herbert under pressure? Freaking out, man. You are freaking out, man. I'm just saying. Just saying. He freaks out, man. They're going to need guys back there to block. And Hunter Henry, unfortunately, is going to be that guy. So Hunter Henry, for me, is falling off the face of the earth. I don't want him. I don't want anything to do with him. And honestly, maybe I'm just too high on some of these sleeper tight ends. You guys hear me talk about them all the time. Like, I believe in Irv Smith Jr. I believe in Jonu Smith. I believe in Hayden Hurst. So I don't want to spend high draft capital 
on some of these other guys because honestly, I just, I don't think they're going to hit. I think that some of these other guys are way safer and have more upside that you're getting way further down in the drafts. And you can spend your draft capital on running backs and high-profile wide receivers at this point in the draft instead of wasting it on a tight end that might not even see the, the, the field when it comes to running routes. Now, my rumplements, my best value, is Tyrod Taylor. Now, Tyrod Taylor, I love him, man. I covered him a few episodes ago and how he was QB 6 and 7 in points per game while starting for the Bills back a few years ago in Anthony Lynn's system, by the way. This is a far better offense than they had with the Bills, and he knows this system, which means that, hey, he's going to get the reps. He's going to get the opportunity early in the season to show that he can win these games. And I think that he's going to win quite a few of them. You might only get one year out of him in Dynasty, but he's practically free at this point. He's one of the last players being drafted. If you need to win now, if you win to me now, get him to back up your starting quarterback and just see what happens. See how it plays out. Like I said, he's practically free. I love him. Love him in two quarterback leagues, especially when I can get Herbert early and then draft Tyrod Taylor with one of my last picks. Love Tyrod Taylor in dynasty two quarterback leagues. On to my dark horse. My dark horse, baby. The white dragon. Take a guess. I'll give you guys a few seconds. If you listen to the podcast, just take a guess. Take a guess. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Joe Reed, baby. Love me some Joe Reed. Love me some Joe Reed. Do I really even need to talk about him? I mean, I pretty much do it every episode now, right? I feel like I do. I'll do a quick synopsis. Monster with the ball in his hands. Metric clone of A.J. Brown and measurement clone. Third wide receiver on a team with two guys that are completely inconsistent when it comes to production, meaning Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And those guys have expiring contracts coming up. Joe Reed could be the starter tied to Herbert for how long now? The next 10 years? I love me some Joe Reed. Does that work for you? Does that work for you guys? Do I need to go any further deeper in? If, if I do, just message me and I'll send you the episodes that I cover Joe reading because there has to be like 10 of them at this point in time. Good. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. Because the Chiefs are on the clock now, baby. They're on the clock and the clock is hot. And with my first pick of my highest riser, I'm going to go with, well, fantasy intervention, selects Damian Williams. And the crowd goes wild. <sighs> How good was that? Was that good? I don't know. This was tough. This was tough because I really like Watkins at his ADP right now, but I'm not sure how long he's going to be on the team, much less in the NFL. I mean, he was talking about retirement right after the Super Bowl, wasn't he? Wasn't, he? wasn't that him? Pretty sure that was him. Pretty sure that he was talking about retirement. The guy's a, a weirdo, right? He's the Lizard King or something. Plus, I mean, not only is he a weirdo, but he's extremely volatile for any kind of league outside of best ball. Like, we don't know when this guy's going to go off. He went off in the playoffs. He went off for the first game of the season. Outside of that, you got nothing out of Sammy. Nothing. Sammy! Sammy! Listen, Williams' contract should be cheap enough for the Chiefs to exercise that option in 2021. And for 2020 alone, his value should be enough to get everyone excited, especially, especially if they cancel the entire preseason. With a CBA agreement limiting the way that players can practice, it's tough. It's tough for CEH to get certain blocking assignments down. 
Insert Damian Williams, baby. Just open up an insert. He's getting trashed right now. He's getting absolutely trashed. Trashed. My only concern with Damian Williams, I do have one concern. The only one is that he has a $400,000 roster bonus due off of being active on game days. So, if that's the case, and they want to kind of Carlos hide him, that could actually be a thing, and that does scare me a little bit. But if I'm doing that, if I'm picking up Damian Williams, I'm going to pick up DeAndre Washington and have him back up, back up Damian Williams and be my handcuff. Because one of those two guys are going to see the field and see snaps. It's going to be Damian Williams or DeAndre Washington. And you guys already know how I love DeAndre Washington. Now, I personally, just a side note, I'm looking at my phone. I actually just acquired him for a third round pick in one of my leagues. So it's definitely worth it. Yeah, like literally that just happened. It just went through. I offer a third round pick and see if you can get Damian Williams. I would take that in a heartbeat. Obviously, I offered it and somebody went through it. Go grab Damian Williams. Now, my four horsemen, the thing that's going to make you fall off the horse, Tyreek Hill. I don't get it. I really don't get the Tyreek Hill hype. Why would you want someone that is so boomer busty? (laughs) Busty. Uh, Listen, if you want more insight, go in and listen to this episode when she actually is a he. When she is actually a he. Go back and listen to it. I think it's like episode 150 or whatever. Just a few episodes ago. It's a good one. It is a good one. I just, when you sit there and you only produce double digit fantasy points in 50% of your games two years in a row, I I don't love it. And if I'm taking a receiver early, if I'm taking a receiver early in the first couple rounds, I I don't want that receiver to lose me weeks. You don't have to necessarily win me weeks, although I would like that, to be honest with you. But just don't lose me weeks. Don't lose me a week. All right. On to Sammy Watkins being my rumplement shot. Psych! Psych. I'm just kidding. I, I really did want to put him here again. But because of age, I, I, I can't do it. I can't put a guy that I don't even know when he's going to retire. I mean, he's talking about retiring last year like we talked about. I, I just can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm going to have to go Miko Hardman. I mean, they're really neck and neck for me when it comes to rankings. And this is primarily a dynasty show, so I'm going to have to go with Mikkel. I'm going Mikkel. Either way, both eyes are risky, but when you factor in that Mikkel Hardman was the number one, number one in fantasy points per target. Yeah, he was number one in fantasy points per target. I love it. I love it. I love it. Patrick Mahomes had the best passer rating in the NFL while targeting him. Not to mention. Not to mention, he led the league in average yards per reception with over 20. He did this with only a 43% snap share. I love it. I love me some Eco Harbin. God. I mean, did you see the video the other day? This is separate. Like, I actually typed up the show sheet prior to. I didn't even mean to bring this up. I think it was yesterday. I came across a video of him running 23 miles per hour like it was nothing. God, I love me some Eco Harbin, man. That guy's going to burn burn, burn the field alive. My concern comes in with him having his best two weeks when Hill was out with an injury. But outside of that, there were still five weeks in which he was a startable player as a rookie. As a rookie, he was still startable. I love me some Miko Hardman. Love it. Absolutely love it. He is my rumplement shot. Hopefully a second year in this offense and a healthy Mahomes will actually help him see an increase in snaps and production. I love me some Miko Hardman. 
I'm higher on Miko Harmon than I think I am Deontay Johnson. Boom! Mind blown, right? What's up? I'm not a big Deontay Johnson fan, although I do like him. I'm just not as high on him as everybody else is in the fantasy community. All right, now on to my dark horse, my white dragon baby. There was only one running back. Only one. At least from where I researched, and I almost don't want to say the stat because I could be wrong just off of a random occurrence by a player that played like one game or something like that. However, from the players that I saw and the research that I went through, there was only one running back that finishes an RB1 every time they had 14 or more carries. There was only one. At least, hey, let's do this. There was only one running back in the NFL that finished as an RB1 every time he had 14 or more carries and played three games. Played at least three games. DeAndre Washington. DeAndre Washington, baby. Like I said, I don't know if that's completely true because I didn't check some of these backups that played one game, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Pretty sure it's accurate. DeAndre Washington finished up as an RB1 in all three games in which he saw 14 or more carries. I love it. People keep forgetting about how much of a beast this guy was at the tail end of last season. They keep forgetting. When he gets the opportunity, he performs. The best part is he can catch passes. Catch passes. In two of those three games where he was the primary back, he caught seven or more passes in each one of those games. He's a perfect fit in this offense when we talk about Damian Williams and his contract issues. He's the perfect handcuff for this situation. He's so perfect. He's so perfect. His metrics are insane. We've seen him produce. We know that he can do it. And now he's going to a more dynamic offense when we talk about the Chiefs. God, I love it. This guy's going to make me some money. He's going to make me some money in best ball this year. Mm, can't wait. Now, the trickiest of the tricky when it comes to figuring out who's going to produce this year will lie in Denver. You've got multiple guys that are all going to fight for targets and touches. The number one question is, can Drew Locke support them all? And with what consistency, especially being a guy who can escape the pocket and use his wheels to run. He didn't do it a lot last year but he came out and said that he wants to do it this year. He's going to use his legs like a real boy. Yeah. Here's the deal. It's already tough enough to have multiple options when it comes to skill positions on the team be fantasy relevant or be high-end fantasy options. That's already tough enough, especially for a guy going into his second year at the quarterback position. I mean, you're asking, you know, three relevant guys on any team, it's going to be tough to produce three fantasy relevant guys on a a team, at least high-end options. But to support three wide receivers, two tight ends, and three running backs is going to be almost impossible. And that's how many are being drafted right now in leagues. Some of your guys are going to hit, and some of you guys are going to be way, way the far off, way off in left field. Let me state the values real quick before I dive in. Cortland Sutton is being viewed and drafted as a back-end wide receiver one with upside. Jerry Judy is being drafted and viewed as a back-end wide receiver two with upside. K.J. Hamler is being viewed as a depth stash with upside. Melvin Gordon is being viewed as a RB2. Lindsey is being valued as an RB3 slash flex spot. Royce Freeman is being valued as a high-end handcuff. Alberto, he's a depth tight end with upside. If I do end up with him, by the way, I'm most likely going to put him in my taxi spot, but he's being drafted 
as a depth tight end with upside, and Noah Fant is working his way in a tight end one territory with upside. I most recently saw him go as the tight end seven, tight end seven off the board. So let's break this down point-wise. What does this mean in terms of fantasy points and production? Let's give Sutton 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns on 80 receptions. That's close to Amari Cooper's production from, from last year, right? 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns on eight receptions. Jerry Judy, 70 receptions for 900 yards and six touchdowns. That should be about equal to DK Metcalf and McLaurin, Debo Samuel, that range. Wide receiver, 27 to 32-ish. KJ Hamler is a boomer bust type guy. So let's give him a little bit more than, or I'm sorry, a little bit less. Let's give him a little bit less than what Curtis Samuel did last year. Let's give him 40 receptions for 60 yard, 600 yards and six touchdowns. That's less than Curtis Samuel last year. Let's give Noah Fant a more reasonable Jared Cook line. Like, say, 50 receptions, 700 yards, six touchdowns. Although, to be honest with you, if there's any tight end that could be more efficient than Jared Cook last year, it could be Noah Fant. But I'm trying to be reasonable here. I'm trying to knock down the production so that we can be reasonable. Reasonable with where these targets are going to come from. We're going to tack on the bare minimum for Albert O with 200 yards and two touchdowns on 20 receptions. Does that seem fair? Cool. That total is already 3,600 yards. That's 200 more, 200 more yards than they passed for last year. And we haven't even brought up the running backs yet, who accounted for about 600 more yards last year. Plus, they Elvin Madden <laughs> added Melvin Gordon, who can also catch passes, right? Didn't we talk about him earlier in the episode? What was it, 55? He had 55 targets? Yeah. I don't know. This also doesn't account for all the other guys who weren't primary receivers. They got 50 here, 150 here. That's about 500 more yards missing. 500 more. If we say that Melvin Gordon keeps the yardage the same and he doesn't increase it at all, we still have miscellaneous guys throughout the year filling in and catching passes a few each game. We're still talking about Drew Locke throwing for 4,700 yards this season. We haven't even brought up the fact that he wants to run. If he runs for, what, 500 yards? That's right around, I think, Josh Allen range. Might be, a little, might be like 100 yards less than Josh Allen. But either way, 400, 500 yards. What? Is that even possible? By the way, that's also 32 touchdowns he's throwing. 32. Only three guys who played most of the games last year beat that in terms of yards per game, and only two beat that in touchdowns per game. Only three guys. Only three guys threw for more yards per game and more touchdowns per game. I don't see, I just, I don't see that in the range of outcomes. Not realistically. I mean, he's throwing for 204 yards per game last season and 1.4 touchdowns per game that season with a 6.6 adjusted yards per attempt. That's a 64 completion percentage as well. We're talking about a 90-yard increase per game and a .6 touchdown increase per game. If we get to those stats that we just brought up, which are all obtainable stats because that's where they're getting drafted at. That's where they're getting drafted at. You're talking about 90 yards increase per game for Drew Locke and a .6 touchdown increase per game for Drew Locke, who wasn't even remotely close to that last year. 
We have to figure out who's going to win this and who's going to lose this since everybody's ADPs are so damn high. I honestly, like, I don't understand it. The, the, light, the silver liner, the, the light of hope, right? The little light that shines through is Shermer coming into this offense because he's great with quarterbacks and he's great with running backs. So that is a little glimmer of hope. But still, we got to figure out who's going to win this and who's going to lose this. My biggest riser, my Vegas bomb, is going to be Drew Locke. He's being drafted as QB 15. 15. If you're looking for a second quarterback with upside, especially in deeper dynasty leagues, you got to take him. You have to take him. His upside is too damn high. If you don't have him because your league has already started, he's being valued below younger guys like Daniel Jones and older guys like Aaron Rodgers. See if you can get Locke plus a second round pick for a guy like Danny Dimes. Right? If you have Daniel Jones, try and trade him off. Grab Drew Locke and a second round pick if you can. Locke's upside is too great. And even, even if he only gets halfway to the projections I mentioned, when we talked about increase in 90 yards and 0.6 touchdowns, even if you're getting halfway there, halfway there, you're still getting Kirk Cousins production, who was right around QB 15 last year. Drew Locke is going. Drew Locke is going into his second year in the league, and you've already hit his floor at the spot of QB 15. You already hit the floor. Draft Drew Locke, and if you don't have him, trade for him. Now, my four horsemen, the thing that's going to knock you off the horse, baby, is no offense. It's no offense. Like most guys, I've already covered him previously, but I do want to note that 166 of his 300 yards after the catch came on three plays last year. Three plays. This guy's super athletic, and he could do it again. He really could. He could do it again, but that's just like relying on breakaway runs from Aaron Jones. If you don't like Aaron Jones and his breakaway runs, and you like Marlon Mack and his breakaway runs, then you can't like Noah Fant because the efficiency is, is too far outweighing the potential if he does it again. Efficiency, <laughs> when you have an outline efficiency year, They typically don't happen over and over and over again unless you're a superstar player. Maybe you think that Noah Fant is a superstar player. I'm just not gauging him that way. Not yet. I need to see it again. Now, Aaron Yackel, who writes with me over at Dynasty Happy Hour, did hit me with one fun quote, and I'll support this, is it's better to draft him too early than to try and get him at his value in Dynasty Leagues after he breaks out. So sure, if you want to go for that, I, I don't support it. I want to take my shots on tight ends with guys in the 13th round. I don't want to take a shot on a tight end in the 7th. Tight ends are too volatile. They're too volatile. And with the 7th round pick, like I'd rather take a, a shot on Irv Smith Jr. I'd rather take a shot on Johnny Smith, Hayden Hurst. We've already talked about it. I've already went through it. He's just going too high up for me. However, When I do take shots on guys, I want that guy to potentially win me a league when it comes to earlier shots. And that's going to be my value. My rumplement shot is going to be Jerry Judy. When you have an opportunity to grab a guy like Jerry Judy, somebody that could eventually elevate themselves to be a top five potential at the wide receiver position, you take your shots. When you have a shot to get Antonio Brown at a young age, you have a shot to get Chris Godwin, you have a shot to get DJ Moore. You take those shots. When somebody produces the way that Jerry Judy has produced, 
You can take a shot at him because guess what? The wide receiver position, those tiers for the wide receiver fall off so significantly after those top five guys, top six guys, top seven guys. I mean, you're getting a potential top 12 tight end at the same spot as Deontay Johnson is going. And Deontay Johnson is never, never going to be a top five wide receiver. Never. Get that out of your mind. He's never going to be a top five wide receiver. I might open mouth, insert foot eventually, but no, I'm not doing it with him. Jerry Judy has that potential in his range of outcomes. And whether that comes with Drew Locke or comes with another quarterback in the future, he still has that that range of outcomes. This could be like the Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne offense eventually. This could be the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans offense from last year. Take your shot on guys with significant, significant upside like Jerry Judy at his value. That seventh round pick is, is looking sexy. I remember when I was getting CJ Lamb. I'm sorry, CJ, CD Lamb. When I was getting CD Lamb in the seventh round earlier this year. Oh my God, I loved it. Loved it. Now he's going in the fourth round and I'm laughing because I loved him at his value, but a fourth round pick for CD Lamb isn't high. Don't let that happen with Jerry Judy. Get him now before his value spikes, just like CD Lamb's did. Do it. I literally, I, I don't think that, that Elway is going to sit back and watch his team fail. So Flock does do poorly. I think that Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, or Aaron Rodgers, huh, I think they're coming to Denver. And that could be big time, big time, big time news for Jerry Judy. God, get him before he gets too hot. Too hot. My dark horse, my white dragon. Here we go, baby. You guys have already heard my whole spiel on this, so I'm going to keep it relatively short. But we got Royce Freeman at six foot, 229 pounds, is the perfect fit for that wide zone run scheme. Pat Shermer uses that, baby. He calls the majority of his run play out, plays out of. That's what Saquon, Saquon was getting in 2018 with all his breakaway runs. It's that wide zone run scheme. Philip Lindsay is nowhere near the type of running back that fits in Shermer's system. Listen, Shermer crushed it. Crushed it with Stephon, or Steven Jackson. He crushed it with LaShawn McCoy. He even made Latavius Murray fantasy relevant. I love, love Royce Freeman. Don't forget, his best comparable player on player profiler is Steven Jackson. My only fear is that these three running backs are going to cannibalize each other, similar to what we saw in Philly in 2015 when, when Shermer was running that offense. We saw it again with McKinnon and Dalvin Cook in 2017. But if we have a running back that fits his system perfectly, he runs with that running back. Between Melvin Gordon, Philip Rinsley, and Royce Freeman, I'd want to take the cheapest guy as that option. And that's going to be Royce Freeman almost going undrafted in most leagues. Side note, Philip Lindsay is going to be a free agent after this year. His contract's up. Royce Freeman still has another year because he actually signed on or got drafted. Just saying, just saying, Royce Freeman is looking real, real sexy. And that's going to do it for us, guys. Yes, yes. Guys, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasy intervention, where you guys get all sorts of bonus content. Make sure you guys do go into the description of this episode. If you go into the description of the episode, you will see my link tree. It'll have my Twitter, my Facebook, all the, the, the sources or platforms that you can listen to it on. Guys, I love it. Love when you guys follow. Make sure you guys hit like and subscribe, please, on this episode. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Huge shout out to Fantasy Football Discussion. Keep the questions coming, guys. And of course, thank you all for listening and thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. I'm out. Hey, my mom told my niggas is dope. Switch up a stove, pick up a stove. They're feeling away, they know I'm the goat. That's how you bang a podcast.